Orderly Siemens, and you're listening to the second episode of Missionary Stories. Uh, this week or today, I'm going to be telling you the story of my all-time favorite historical character, Corey Ten Boom. She's my favorite, I think, because she was a completely ordinary person who did an extraordinary thing. She did what was right when most people were afraid to do just that. So this is our second missionary story. In our first uh, missionary story, we did Hudson Taylor. So you can go back and listen to that. That's another great one. Over the next few weeks, I'm hoping to put out a whole bunch more of these bonus episodes. Uh, You'll know that on every Thursday, I do my regular podcast, which uh, looks into the history behind the news that has happened that week. Um, But I want to put out a lot of these bonus episodes for families to listen to so we can get to know our Christian heroes. So if you have a favorite Christian hero, let me know because I would love to add that person to my list. So Corey Timbu might not seem like someone who was a missionary, but I think she was. I would consider her a missionary. I think she was a missionary to a place that was so dark, no one would go there. Even Corey would not have gone to this place willingly. But we're gonna get to that part of the story a little bit later. First, let's look at the world and what the world looked like when Corey was born. From 1870 till uh, 1886, Europe was in major, major unrest. Countries were making pacts with each other, there were secret treaties, uh, lines were being drawn, people were being assassinated. The world was getting ready for its first official world war. In 1892, uh, Cornelia, Arnolda, Joanna, Ten Boom was born in Harlem in the Netherlands. Her life was really pretty simple as a child. Her family would call her Corey. Uh, Corey had a mother and father who loved each other very much, and they also loved God and served God. Corey had an older brother and an older sister. So Corey's sister, Betsy, was just one year older than her, and the two were best friends. They shared a room, and Corey always looked to Betsy for comfort. Corey was never afraid if Betsy was with her. William, her older brother, was always uh, also teaching Corey things, but it was Betsy that Corey always relied on. Corey's family of five grew when her two aunts moved in with them. Aunt Bet and Aunt Annie came to live with Corey uh, because her family needed them. Um, when her mother became ill and she needed help around the house. So that's when Aunt Bet and Aunt Annie moved in. Corey's father was a watchmaker. So he would bake and he would fix watches. And he had a shop that was attached to his home where they lived. So Corey could visit her dad when he was working. In her house, there was a large clock. Corey's father used it to make sure all his watches were a perfect time. Once in a while, Corey's dad would travel to Amsterdam to buy parts for his watches. And when he did, he always checked the clock at the central station to make sure his time was perfect. Corey would have to wait, though, until she was school age before she could travel with her father. At the time, children went to school at age six. So in 1897, when Corey was five years old, she was the only child still at home during the day. 
In the country nearby, Germany was building up its military and the world was starting to take notice. World leaders were becoming concerned. But five-year-old Corey wasn't being kept up at night by the fear of military forces. She was being kept up at night by the scratching tree branches on her window. Corey was so afraid at night and she would keep Betsy up at night. The two shared a bed and Corey would wake up with every little sound. One day after the two children had left for school, Aunt Anna was talking to Corey. The two were peeling potatoes and prepping for supper. Aunt Anna told her the story from the Bible about the sheep that went astray and got lost. The shepherd left the 99 that were not lost and went out to look for the lost sheep. Corey could imagine what it would be like to be that lost sheep all alone in the dark. It was very scary. But the shepherd came and found the sheep. Corey loved the story. It was her very, very favorite story. And Corey would ask her mom to tell the story over and over. But on this day, Aunt Anne told her that Jesus was that shepherd and Corey was the sheep. Corey had sinned and was doing things her way, but Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and died so that Corey could be rescued. Jesus had died but had come back to life. That day, Corey prayed to God and told him she was sorry for her sin and asked Jesus to forgive her. That day, Corey became a Christian. Aunt Anna reminded Corey that she didn't have to be afraid anymore. God was always with her, protecting her, just like the shepherd was being taken care of, just like the shepherd was taking care of the sheep. And that's when the sleepless nights ended for Corey and for Betsy. Corey memorized Psalm 46 too. Therefore, I will not fear, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. This is a verse that would get her through her entire life because things were going to get really bad. The next year, Corey had to start school. She was sure this was a very bad idea. She liked her time alone with her mom and her aunts. Father reminded her of the verse. She said it over and over. Tears crawled down her cheeks as she walked to school. Every day for two weeks, she cried and said the verse over and over. Finally, she came to figure out school wasn't so bad after all. God was preparing Corey. She was learning to trust God when things got scary. She was learning she was never alone. One day, something happened that changed Corey forever. Corey's mom would often visit families that were sick and would bring them food, especially families that didn't have money for food. Even though Corey's family didn't have money for extra treats, they always had enough money for food. One day, Corey went with her mother. It was a small apartment at the top of a house. The room was dark and the whole family lived in just one small bedroom. Corey went to look in the cradle where the baby was sleeping. She touched the baby and it was cold and stiff. Corey ran to her mother and threw herself into her lap. The baby had died. Corey suddenly realized what death was, and it terrified her. That night, Corey was afraid to speak. Her father finally convinced Corey to tell him what she was thinking. She whispered, I'm afraid you and mother are going to die. 
her father told her, well, they would die someday. Everybody dies. And then he asked her, Corey, when you go on the train, do I give you your tickets two weeks before? No, I would lose it. Then when do I give it to you? Just before I get on the train. God is the same way. When you need his strength and courage, then he will give it to you. You can't imagine living if your mother and father died because you don't have the strength and courage for that now. But when you need it, God will give it to you. Corey knew she needed to learn the lesson to trust God. Corey realized she had learned this lesson one Sunday. Corey and her cousin Dot were playing after church and it started to get dark. Dot got so scared, she began to freak out. Corey was surprised. How can you be afraid? God is with us. There's no reason to be afraid. Finally, Corey was old enough to travel with her father to Amsterdam. She made sure she wore her nicest dress and Betsy did her hair. The day was amazing. They, they took a train and Corey watched as the inner city she lived in disappeared and then mansions appeared. And then she saw the countryside and then the city of Amsterdam. Corey met father's friends who all sold him hearts for his watches. All the men were Jewish and good friends of her father. And they all thought Corey was adorable, so they gave her lots of treats. This was amazing for Corey because her family never had money for chocolates or sweets. Almost every man they visited gave Corey a treat. It was possibly the best day ever. On the way home, they checked the large clock. They were off by two seconds. Father would fix the family clock when they got home. It was a wonderful, happy day in Amsterdam. There would not be many days like that left. A darkness was settling over the neighboring country of Germany. Soon, another aunt moved in with the family, Aunt Jans. Her husband was a minister and he had died suddenly. That left Aunt Jans with no family, so she moved into the home. It was pretty crowded now. There was Corey, her brother and sister, her mom and dad, and three aunts. The only aunt Corey did not like was Aunt Beth. She was angry all the time and kind of mean. As Corey became a teenager, the world around her began to change. It was 1909. Britain was building up its military now and preparing for war with Germany. And in Harlem, where Corey lived, soldiers were in the streets every day. Corey's Aunt Jan was getting annoyed with the soldiers. They were always standing around, getting into trouble. They would say rude things sometimes. One day, she had an idea. She would start a club for the soldiers, a place where they could come and hang out, play games, and spend time together. She would also tell them about Jesus. The soldiers loved her club, and soon the Ten Boom House was full of soldiers every day. In fact, their house ran out of room. So Aunt Jan raised money to buy a building and turned it into a place for the soldiers to go. Corey and Betsy would go twice a week and play the piano and sing for the soldiers. Aunt Jan would tell the soldiers about Jesus. God was preparing Corey and Betsy. Soldiers would be a part of their lives. They needed to know how to act around them, how to communicate with them. On August 1st, 1914, when Corey was 22 years old, World War I officially started.
The Netherlands remained neutral. War completely surrounded them. All the countries around them were fighting. The war lasted until 1918, when Corey was 26 years old. The Netherlands managed to stay neutral, and through the war, Corey and Betsy and Aunt Jan worked with the soldiers. It seemed after the war like things were going to go back to normal, but Germany, Germany would not be the same. When Corey was 27 years old, a man named Adolf Hitler joined a group called the German Workers' Party. It was a socialist party. It soon changed its name to the National Socialists of Germany. They would go by the abbreviation, the Nazi Party. The world didn't seem to notice this happened. It seemed insignificant. But this small party would change the world forever. In 1921, when Corey was 29 years old, her mother finally died. She'd been ill for all of Corey's life. Now it was Corey, Betsy, and her father living in the family home. A lot had changed in Corey's life. Corey had spent her whole life working in the watch shop with her father. So at the age of 30, she decided to become the first woman in the Netherlands to be a licensed watchmaker. She was happy with her life. She had almost married, but that had not worked out for her. And now she was happy living with her sister and father working in the clock shop. In Germany, that little nationalist socialist party was growing and they actually tried to take over the government. Their leader, Adolf Hitler, was arrested and thrown in prison. It would have been good for the world if he had stayed there. But he only spent a short time in prison and during that time he wrote a book called My Struggle. In the book he blamed all the problems the poor people had on the banks and the business owners. The banks and most of the businesses were owned and operated by the Jewish people. Hitler in his book showed that socialism was the only way to free the people of Germany. And the only one standing in the way of this socialist utopia? The Jewish people. This book became popular and because of this book, the National Socialist Party of Germany became very popular. Meanwhile, in the country next door, the Netherlands, Corrie was facing her own kind of prison. She was diagnosed with tuberculosis. This was a disease that many people died from. Corey had to stay in her bed for a really long time. People didn't come to visit her and she was completely alone. Corey began to feel angry with God. Why was he doing this to her? Why, why was she all alone? She didn't know that God was getting her ready for what she was going to face in a few years. Eventually, Cora began to use her time alone in bed to read her Bible and pray. One day, the pain in her stomach got so bad, she was sure she was going to die. Her family took her to the hospital immediately. The doctors rushed her into surgery. It turned out she didn't have tuberculosis after all. She had appendicitis. After her surgery, she was better almost right away. Corey began to feel God calling her into ministry. She thought God was telling her to start clubs in the schools for girls so that they could learn about Jesus. She taught them all about the Bible. She also taught them about performing arts, sewing, specialty crafts. The clubs grew so much that she even ended up starting camps. Children were coming to know Jesus as her savior. Corey felt finally like she had purpose. She loved making watches, but nothing compared to praying with someone 
while they receive Jesus. Watches. Watches would eventually break, but this ministry, this ministry would have ramifications that would last forever. Meanwhile, next door in Germany, Hitler's party, the National Socialist Party of Germany, or the Nazi Party, won 12 seats in the election of 1928. The party was still fairly insignificant, but now Hitler was part of the government, and he was becoming quite popular. Five years later, the president of Germany, Heidenberg, made Hitler the chancellor. This was possibly the worst decision in political history. In 1934, President Hindenburg died and Hitler became the president of Germany. The National Socialist Party was now running Germany. The Nazis were in charge. That same year, 1934, Corey turned 42 years old. The media showed a happy Germany. The world was perfect in Germany. Socialism was wonderful. Germany began to boast of full employment and high living standards. The media showed everyone driving a Volkswagen. Now the government was getting free schooling, free health care, even free sports for all the children. On Sundays, all the children would go to their free sports club. They would have two hours of politics and then a day of games. All the boys over the age of 16 got a free motorcycle. Everybody got free radios. Hitler brought in a guaranteed income. Everyone should be equal. So to get that, people were taxed up to 70%. That way the money was taken from the rich and given to the poor. Now everyone was equal. In nearby Austria, people are watching the media and wondering should they also embrace National Socialism? In 1938, Austria enters a Great Depression. Farmers and business owners are all going broke. People were going door to door begging for food. Meanwhile, the media was showing images of Germany living wonderfully on socialism. So, with a 98% vote, the Austrian people voted to join Germany and allow the Nazi party to take over their country. Everyone under the Nazi party had to carry ID. Without your ID, you couldn't shop or even get on a bus. Schools could no longer say the Lord's Prayer at the start of the day. It was all changed to Heil Hitler. All religious education was gone. Hitler also saw a problem with gun-related violence and gun accidents. So he had all the people register their guns. That way the criminals could all be caught. A year later, Hitler said, you know what, crimes are still on the rise and children on farms are being killed with gun accidents. So he banned all guns. And since the guns were registered, the government could go home to home and take all the guns. Hitler also took over the banks. They had previously been run by the Jewish community. He blamed all the financial problems on the Jewish people. Hitler took over the hospitals. A national healthcare system was put in place. Health and safety um, boards were set up. This made regulations for the farmers and the businessmen. Then in 1939, Germany invaded Poland. World War II had officially started. While all this was going on, Cory and the people in the Netherlands, their plan was to stay out of the conflict and just wait for the war to end, just like they had done in World War I. That idea would only last one year. 
At this point, Corey was 47 years old, and she continued to run her clubs for the girls. She added gymnastics and other sports. Her clubs and camps were very popular, and she was well-loved by all the girls in Harlem. But now, all the countries around them were being taken by the Nazi party. Austria, Poland, Denmark, Norway. It seemed only a matter of time. They would be next. Corey continued to teach in her clubs and in the schools and run her camps. And many Jewish people came to the Netherlands to escape Hitler. The Dutch people welcomed them, and they were safe. Corey and her family continued to be friendly with the soldiers. One day, German soldiers came to her door. He said, I've escaped Germany. I don't want to be a German soldier. I've seen what Hitler is doing, and I can't do it. Will you please help me? Corey gave the man clothing and took his uniform. Soon, more soldiers came asking for help. Corey had a large group of teen girls, but also many teen boys were now signing up for her Bible study. Many were hearing stories now about what was happening to the Jewish community in Germany. The stories that Jews were telling was very different than the ones being told by the media. One day, a boy named Peter came to Corey and said he had heard that an orphanage was going to kill 100 children because they were Jewish. The teen boys wanted to go and get the kids out of the orphanage and bring them to safety. The boys took the soldier uniforms Corey had taken from the soldiers that had escaped, and the boys dressed like Nazis. They then crossed over the border went to the orphanage, and in the middle of the night, stole all 100 children. The children were brought to the Netherlands, and they were safe. Peter was so excited about this. He told Corey he never wanted to go to university or have any other job. Saving lives was the best job ever. Corey told him, saving lives is wonderful, but saving souls, that's so much better. Peter laughed. He said, look, my minister makes good money doing that, saving souls. That's for the minister. I'm going to save lives. Six months later, Peter found himself in prison. He wrote a letter to Corey that he now understood what she meant. Peter had led every man in his prison to Jesus. All of them were executed, shot in the back of the head a week later. Before Corey even received the letter, Peter had been killed. In 1940, Hitler set his eyes on the Netherlands. While other countries had voted unanimously for the National Socialist Party, known as the Nazis, the Dutch fought back. But five days after Hitler invaded Netherlands, he bombed the major cities. There was no way they could fight back against a German army. The Queen of the Netherlands, Queen Wilhelmina, escaped to Britain. The Jewish people tried to escape, but every country around them was controlled by the Nazis, and the Netherlands was a coastal area. The water was also full of ships controlled by the Nazis. The Jews were trapped. In 1940, there was 140,000 Jews in the Netherlands. The Nazis would take 107,000 of those Jews to concentration camps, and of those 107,000, only 5,000 would survive. 75% of the Jews living in the Netherlands were killed. As the Nazis marched into the Netherlands, the Dutch were afraid. They didn't know what to expect. But Hitler saw the Dutch as the superior of the German breed, so he wanted to treat them very well. 
He agreed the Dutch law would stay in effect. He would not replace the leaders with German leaders. The Dutch culture was one of rules and following the rules. So for the most part, people tried to follow the new rules. IDs were issued. The government would now run the schools and the hospitals. Free schooling, free healthcare. Guns were prohibited. Free sports clubs and free arts clubs were started for all the children. And parents who were caretakers of children and adults with special needs were told the government was going to take them to a special school. The Germans had found a way to teach children with special needs how to read and write. They were told the government would send them home eventually and they would be able to function in society. It was not until after the war ended, parents learned their children had all been euthanized, killed. Corey was told she could no longer have her girls club or her girls camps. All clubs and all camps were now run by the government. Corey met in secret with her girls from her club one last time. They were crying. Don't cry, said Corey. God has placed you in these clubs and camps so you could learn the Bible and hide it in your heart. No one can take it from you. It's hidden in your heart. We can't meet anymore. I will not be with you. But God, God will always be with you. Then the girls sang the national anthem together. Most of the girls could not finish singing it because they were crying. The next day, the girls had to join the government clubs. It was known as Hitler's Youth. A few days later, Corey and her family were walking down the road and they saw a sign. It said, no selling to Jews. Corey's father became angry. I can't believe this would have come to Harlem. These Jewish people have been our neighbors and our friends for years. This is not what Harlem is. Soon after that day, a law was passed. Jews would no longer be allowed civil jobs. Only a few who were already working could stay. But two months later, the law was updated to say all Jews must leave civil jobs. This included the Chief Justice, men on the Supreme Court, and 41 university professors. In the same law, all Jewish businesses had to register and place a gold star in the window. The next year, every Jew had to wear that same star. The Jews were often beaten in public because they had to wear the star at all times. They were just an obvious target for people who hated them. The schools and the sports clubs were being run by child psychologists who were trained in manipulation. The young teens were told, you don't need to obey your parents, you have rights. You're your own person. You are the future. You are important. They were also told that they were victims, and the villains were the Jews. So for many of the young men and women, surrounding a Jew and beating them was seen as a virtue. And the soldiers and the police, they would not discourage it. While this was true across most of the area the Nazis controlled, the Dutch did not give in so easy. While they followed the rules, they were also preparing to fight back. The Dutch never saw themselves as Nazis. They always saw themselves as Dutch. By 1942, a group called the Dutch Resistance had started. Corey called it God's Underground. Corey, her father, her sister, and her brother all joined the Resistance. In 1943, 
everything changed. The Nazis became full dictatorship. There was no pretending anymore. Soldiers went home to home taking radios. Only the government radios that only broadcasted the Nazi symbol were allowed. This dictatorship was in every country Hitler was part of. And it was at that point that Austria realized who they voted in with their 98% vote. But no one could fight back. The guns had been taken a long time ago. They were powerless. The Jews were taken from their homes. The next winter was known as the Hunger Winter. Things were only getting worse. The Gestapo was the secret police. They dressed in regular clothes and no one knew who they were, so everybody was afraid all the time. But worse than that, the Gestapo would catch someone breaking a law, maybe stealing food for their family. And they would tell them they could either go to prison or become an informant. If they were informants, they had to visit the Gestapo once a week with stories from work or from their families. Anyone saying anything bad about Hitler or Germany would be arrested. So no one trusted anyone. Corey and her family used their watch shop as a way to move Jews through a secret underground network. 107,000 Jews had been taken. The remaining 33,000 were hiding. The secret underground would move the hiding Jews from place to place, keeping them safe. A man would come into a shop and say, my wife wants to know if this watch can be repaired. It stopped working. That was a secret message. Corey would know this man was from the Dutch resistance and he had Jews to hide. Corey built a fake wall in her bedroom. This created a secret room. It was very small, only one yard wide. The door was very small crawl space behind Corey's dresser. Corey allowed Jews to live in her home and they would often do drills. Whenever anyone came to the door, the Jews would run to Corey's room, crawl into the small space, and then Corey would move her dresser in front of the door. Betsy and her father would then remove any extra dishes on the table so it appeared that there was no one extra in the home. One day, a man came to the shop. He didn't see the secret message, but he was frantic. He said, they're hiding Jews in their home, and his wife had been arrested. They were going to take her away the next day, but there was a police officer who would help her escape if only he could give the man 700 guildings. That was their money. Corey only had 200 guildings, so she told the man, come back in a few hours. Corey then called all the people on her list who were part of the Dutch resistance. Soon, she had the money for the man. The man returned a few hours later, and Corey gave him the money. He said how thankful he was, and then he left. The man was lying. His wife was not hiding Jews. His wife had not been arrested. He was an informant. He went to the Kasafo and told them. Corey was helping the Jewish people. That night, the family was sitting at the table. At the table was Corey, Betsy, father, three Jews named Mary, Taya, and Yussi. There were also two young boys who had been called to join the army, but didn't want to go. The buzzer went. It was a warning. Someone was in the house. Corey and the five guests ran to her room. They crawled into the hiding place, and Corey pushed her dresser in front of the small hole. Betsy and father took the extra dishes off the table and set the table for three. Corey came back down the stairs 
as the police barged in. They began to pull everything apart in the house. They searched everything. Corey, Betsy, and Father were told they could go and pack one bag. They were then taken from their home and put into a large truck. Neighbors had come out to see what was going on. Watching Corey and Betsy, 53 and 54 years old, and Father in his 80s being pushed into this truck was more than the neighbors could bear. Corey looked to see tears streaming down the face of her neighbors. This was the goodbye, the home and the neighborhood she had lived in all her life. The five hiding in a secret room were never found. They stayed there for five days until they were rescued. They were the last five to be rescued by Corey. In the end, 800 people lived in the Ten Boom home during the Nazi occupation. Corey was brought before a judge. He asked her, what do you do for a job? I'm a watchmaker. Well, what do you do on the side? I work with children with special needs. Why would anyone waste their time with people like that? They're worthless. Corey looked at the judge. Jesus made those people. They're not worthless. The judge sent her away. Next, Betsy came in. Betsy asked the judge if she could pray for him. The judge was surprised but said yes. So Betsy prayed for him. The next day, the judge asked Corey to come back. He said he had a lot of questions for her. But first, he couldn't get out of his mind what she had said about Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. So Corey told the judge all about Jesus, how he was God the Son, how he came to forgive our sins, how he was the only way to forgiveness. Corey said Jesus wants you to come into the light with him. The judge said everything is dark. There's so much darkness. My life is full of darkness. For eight days, Betsy and Corey came before the judge. Betsy would pray. Corey would preach. On the eighth day, the judge pulled out some papers and showed them to Corey. Can you explain this? Corey looked at the papers. It was the names and informants of the people in the Dutch resistance. The police must have found them in her home. She knew what it meant. She would be killed on the spot. And all those people would be arrested. No, she said. I cannot explain it. The judge looked at her. It was silent. Then he reached over to a potbelly stove that was keeping the room warm. He opened the door and threw the papers in. Those papers must have gotten lost, he said. I can't buy them anymore. Corey was so happy. Then she said to the judge, you've taken my crime and thrown it in the fire. God wants to do the same with your sin. You must turn to him. The judge did not become a Christian at this time, but over the next years, as darkness grew in Germany, he could not stop thinking about the sisters. It was after the war ended, the judge finally knelt before God and asked him for forgiveness. It was 10 days after Corey, Betsy, and her father had been arrested. Father had been beaten very badly by the guards, and on the tenth day, he died in prison. Betsy and Corey were loaded into a truck and taken to Ravenbrook concentration camp. Their brother William and his young son 
were also arrested and taken to a concentration camp. Corey had with her a bottle of pills and a Bible. The guards said they must leave all their belongings. Betsy and Corey had to go to the bathroom. Corey begged the guard, please let us go to the bathroom. The guard opened a door and pushed them in. There was no toilets. Where are we supposed to go? Use the drain, the guard shouted and closed the door. The two sisters were alone in a large shower room. Corey realized they would eventually be back in this room. Quick, Betsy, give me your sweater. Corey took the sweater. Corey put her pills and her Bible in the cloth and hid it. As they entered the camp, Corey was told to strip naked. Corey and Betsy were the kind of women who drank tea twice a day, but never without a tablecloth. They would never even think of eating without a napkin. They were proper ladies. Corey began to cry. Betsy, I cannot do it. I cannot be naked. I cannot walk in front of these soldiers naked. I cannot do it. Then she suddenly saw Jesus on the cross and she heard God speak. They took my clothes too. I was naked on the cross. I know your pain. I'm here. You're not alone. Corey knew the cross was for her. Jesus had been naked for her. His love for her was that strong. She would never be alone. The Bible verse she had learned when she was five years old rang through her ears. Therefore will I not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Corey was right. After the women had been searched, they were sent into the room with the showers. They were told to shower and then put on prison clothes. Corey showered, put on the prison clothes, and then took the sweat with the pills and Bible. She hid them under her clothes, under her arm. They began to move to the next room. Then Corey noticed everyone was being searched. She would be caught. God, please send your angels to surround me so they cannot see me. Corey watched as the soldiers came through the line, searching each person. They got closer and closer and closer to her. They got to the woman right in front of her. Then the guard pushed Corey ahead and began searching Betsy, who was standing behind her. They never searched Corey. The women were then sent to their cabins. It was a cabin meant to house about 200 people. Around 1,400 women were packed in. The place was filthy and covered in fleas. Corey cried out, Betsy, we cannot live here. We cannot live like this. Corey and Betsy had always kept their home clean and tidy, never even a speck of dust. This, this was unbearable. Betsy told Corey, we must be thankful in all things. I cannot be thankful. I cannot be thankful for fleas. Corey, the Bible says in everything give thanks, not in good things, not in things we like, in everything. No, I refuse. I will not be thankful. The next day, the women were forced to go out and work. It was hard work, and the guards would beat anyone who slowed down. Corey heard two guards talking. We searched all the cabins except that one. They were talking about Corey's cabin. They will find the Bibles and the pills. 
Oh, the guard said, we never search that one. Uh, why? Why do we not search that one? Uh, that one, that one is full of lice. Unless you want lice, leave that cabin alone. That night, Corey thanked God for the lice. Every morning, the prisoners had to line up. One female guard was particularly mean and cruel. She would pick a prisoner randomly and beat the prisoner. Corey prayed, God, I cannot bear to see this. Suddenly, she heard a noise and she looked up. A large bird was flying overhead. It was beautiful, and it seemed to be showing off its majestic beauty as it flew back and forth over the women standing in line. Corey remembered the verse, As high as the heavens are, so is God's love. That same bird came every morning, and Corey would watch it, and her eyes were taken off the horrors of what was happening around her. At night, the prisoners would come and sit around Corey and Betsy as Corey read the Bible and preached. This is why I say Corey was a missionary, a missionary to a place so dark that no one would have gone willingly. Many of the women in that barrack came to know Jesus as their savior. One night, Betsy woke up and shook Corey. I had a dream, it was from God. You, you're going to leave this place. I am not. God wants you to build a camp, not like this camp, a beautiful one with, with flowers at the windows. And it'll be a place for people who've been here, a place where they can go and find peace. Corey wanted to ask Betsy more about this dream, but Betsy had already fallen back to sleep. The family had been arrested on February 28th, 1944. December 16th, 1944, Betsy died. A week and a half later, Corey was suddenly set free. It ended up being a clerical error. She was supposed to be executed, but was mistakenly set free. A few months later, Germany surrendered. Hitler killed himself. Corey began looking for her brother and nephew. They had also been taken to concentration camp. Her nephew had been killed, but her brother, her brother was still alive. Although her brother made it out of the camp alive, he was malnourished and had been beaten severely. He died shortly after his release from his injuries. Corey was completely alone. The Nuremberg trials were starting to take place Men and women were being held accountable for the horrors of the concentration camps. The Germany people were finding out what had been happening, what they had been part of, what their hatred had done. People who had not joined the Nazis were angry at the ones who had. People were angry at the ones who had been informants. Everyone was angry. Corey began to visit churches and speak, first in the Netherlands and then in Germany. She spoke about the importance of forgiveness. They had to forgive each other. After giving a speech, Corey was leaving a church, and then she saw him, a large man standing at the door. Suddenly, she felt like she was back at the camp. She felt like she was naked in front of this man. She'd been naked in front of him before. She could see him hitting Betsy. He'd been one of the most cruel guards at the camp. 
The man put his hand up to shake Corey's hand. She stood and stared at him. He awkwardly put his hand back down. I don't know if you remember me. I was a guard at your prison. I've just now heard you speak. Not long ago, I gave my heart to Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. He's forgiven me. I prayed and I asked God to send me just one prisoner that I could ask forgiveness from. So now, please, will you forgive me? He put his hand back out. Corey was screaming in her head. God, no, don't ask me to do this. I cannot. This what you are asking me for is too great. But God spoke back. I have forgiven you. You must do the same. Corey reached out her hand. It felt like wood. It was so heavy. She had to force it to rise. And she took the man's hand. Corey felt electricity go through her arm and warm her whole body. The two stood silently for a few minutes. Grasping hands. Nazi prison guard and prisoner. The example of forgiveness that Corey had soon spread and revival began to grow across Germany. Corey was soon speaking not just in Germany, but all over Europe and soon the world. In 1949, she was knighted by the Queen of England. Corey opened her camp from Betsy's Dream. It was a beautiful place with flowers in the windows. People who had survived the concentration camp were invited to come and stay and find healing and peace. In the 50s and 60s, Corey became a very well-known speaker. In the 70s, she was invited to speak in communist China. She was hoping to share the good news of Jesus with the communists, but found when she got there, she could not speak to the communists. Corey was in her hotel, on her knees praying, asking God to please give her a way to preach to the communists when she noticed a strange looking circle in the floorboard. She got down on the floor and looked closely at it. A microphone. The communists were spying on her. Perfect. Corey went and got her Bible. She sat down next to the microphone and breached. What she would find out later is that not only were communists listening to her live, they were recording her. The tape of her preaching was passed around all the way to the highest level in the Communist Party. God answered her prayer, and she preached to the Communists. In 1971, Corey wrote a book called The Hiding Place. It was the story of her life. Billy Graham helped her turn it into a movie in 1975. In 1977, Corey moved to California. Shortly after that, she had a stroke and was no longer able to speak. There is a Jewish tradition that says only the very blessed by God die on the same date as their birth. So it's fitting that Corey Ten Boom died on April 15, 1983, exactly 91 days after she was born. There are so many lessons we can learn from Corey Ten Boom to forgive, your life will be extraordinary if you just do the right thing. Your life will have purpose if you share the gospel. You have no reason to fear if God is with you. I'm going to leave you 
with words from Corey. Here's a piece from the message she preached.